today's Advent message is going to be found from in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And let me read those verses to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first sentence census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Father, I pray that your spirit would just touch our lives. What I shared with this church, what I would like for them to have is to be the, this place, to be a priority for them during this season, because this is a place that we come together to be reminded, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, and thank you that we can decorate our homes, and thank you that we can have Christmas parties with work and family and friends. Thank you for those, those times. But most of all, we give you thanks that you came from heaven to earth. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave us alone, that you didn't say, figure it out. You didn't say, you're, you're, these are your problems, you work it out. But you said, Jesus, you said, I'm going to come to help you. I'm going to come to serve you. I'm going to come to die on the cross for you. So thank you, Lord. Let this word touch our hearts and lives and our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This story presents a common activity that we see all the time. We see it every day in our lives. This is a story about somebody who's being affected by those in authority. This is a story about somebody who's being moved because somebody in authority is moving them. And I want you to know this isn't a complaint session. I'm not complaining about those in authority over us or any government or, or any institution. But it is a reality in our life. The homes that we live in were governed by our county and what they could be made. And we went through that fun process and you need this and you need that. In this home, you drove here and uh, you were stopped by stoplights. And you stayed stopped until someone in power decided if it was 30 seconds or 60 seconds, and you stayed there. Everywhere we turn, tomorrow when you go to work, you are surrounded by rules and regulations by those in power over your life. Where you work, how long you get for lunch, what time you can have off during this Christmas season has been decided by somebody in power. And that's why some of you decide, well, I'm going to own my business. I'm going to be the boss of my organization. But you found out, and I know all you business owners, you know, you just have more bosses. You just have more rules. You just have more things to, to, to worry about. And we're grateful for our business owners. God bless you because it's true. It's just you don't have one boss. You have ten bosses now that are watching you. But it's all around us. And what's at the, at the motivation of those in power? What motivates leaders to make those decisions? What motivated your leader to only give you 45 minutes for lunch? I mean, come on, seriously, why am I going to do that? I mean, what's, what's really at the core of those type of decisions? Well, I'll answer the question for those in power in this story. In this story, at the center of their life, and what was motivating Caesar was the love and 
than money. Plain and simple. Money was the key ingredient that was in this story of, of Caesar. You see, Caesar understood, and Rome understood, that an army was, was a priority. That was a close second. Having muscle was important. But before an army, you needed money. If you were going to have a powerful army, you needed to pay them. So really, the most important thing Rome realized was you needed money. If you have money that you can pay for a powerful army, if you have a powerful army, you can rule, rule the world. But it all starts with money. And that was what, at the heart, that was what was motivating Caesar Augustus. By taking the census, Caesar Augustus would then be able to tax the people in his world. And you know, of course, Caesar Augustus was going to improve the roads, and he was going to make buildings, and he was going to provide water aqueducts and all sorts of things uh, for the people. But don't be fooled. At the end of the day, Caesar Augustus was going to be more wealthy. He was going to gain riches. And so it appears in this story that he was motivated to, to make that decision, so it appears he had all the power. I'm sure Caesar was living like he was, like he had all the power. I'm sure he walked around his palace like a lion walking amongst its pride. He was in control of the situation. He said, if I want money, I'll get more money. I'll tax them. I, I want more roads. I want more buildings. We want to make more Colosseums. Me, will just tax the people because I'll get what I want. Now, if you have money... We know that you're going to have a powerful world, and that's what Caesar was after. Now, let's look at some of these details, because it looks like Caesar Augustus is the power broker in the story. I mean, he's making, he's making Joseph and Mary move. He's going to be collecting money. He's going to be powerful. But there's some important details here. In verse 4, we know that Joseph and Mary are being moved by this powerful figure. That is true. They're being moved. But there's another important detail that Luke gives us. He said that Joseph was from the house of David. A very important detail to be noted here. He was from the house of David. How many of you know that's an important detail in the Christmas story? It's an important detail that we need to recognize this morning to truly understand who is the most powerful figure in the story. Who is in charge? Who do you want to be? Because you can look at Caesar Augustus, and people in this world have looked at Caesar Augustus and said, I want to be Caesar. I want to make the decisions. I want to move people. I want to be in charge. I want to move lunch from 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes. You know how it is. I'm sure some of you were those, uh, you were that uh, student council president. You said, if I'm voted in, I'll make lunch longer. Just put me in charge. We want to take over, right? We want to be Caesar Augustus. But do we? Do we really want to be Caesar? Was he the one that was the most powerful in the story? Joseph was from the house of David. We know David's story. And why this is an important detail of the story, David. And you know the song. That helps us to, re, to remind us of David and why that's an important story. Now, I auditioned for the worship team a couple of Sundays ago by singing. They still haven't called me back. So I'm going to give myself a second audition. You know the story, and you can sing it with me. Only a 
boy named David, only a little slip, only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing, only a boy named David, or only a rippling brook, only a boy named David, but five little stones he had, and one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round, and one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round, and round and round and round and round, round and round and round. And one little stone went in the air, and the giant tumbled down. What a story. What a story. What a powerful song. What a powerful declaration. Who was the most powerful that day that Goliath showed up with his helmet of brass, his, his garments, his, his armor weighing over 125 pounds, the, the head of a spear weighed 12 pounds, his shield needed to be carried by another soldier. And when he came out there and he began to, he began to cry out those loud, defying comments against God Almighty, what did the, what did the army of Israel, Israel do? They ran for cover because they looked at Goliath and said, he's the champion. He's in charge. He's the most powerful. Oh, man, if, we, if I could be like Goliath, if I could just have that spear, if I could just have that shield, if I could just be that strong, if I would have that armor. But God wanted the world to know that day that Goliath is not the most powerful. God wanted the world to know that day you don't put your faith in muscle, and you don't put your faith in a 12-pound spear, and you don't put your faith in a earthly champion, but you put your faith in me. God wanted the world to know that, so he sent a courageous boy with a sling and a stone, and he swung it in the air, and that giant came tumbling down, and the world knew that day that God, he's the most powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere. We serve a powerful and living God who has ultimate power in this story, who's really in charge in this story. Who do you really want to be in this story? Do you really want to be Caesar Augustus? Do you really want to be him? You see, the most powerful person in this story is not, is not Caesar Augustus. It's not a man. It's not any leader. It's not an army. His name is Jesus, and he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. It wasn't the richest man in the world. It was the baby in the manger. That's who was the most powerful story, the most powerful person in this story. You can look at Caesar, and you can think to yourself, man, he was powerful. But God was more powerful. God was in charge. God allowed Caesar to be in power. And by doing that, because he knew that once Caesar was in power, Caesar would tax the people. And he would call a census, which would cause Mary and Joseph to move to Bethlehem for the birth of the Son of God. God was using Caesar Augustus to fulfill a promise, a promise that God had made that your Savior would be born in Bethlehem. And so he used Caesar Augustus because he was all-powerful. He was in control. Caesar didn't realize he was being used by God because God was all-powerful. God wanted you to know today. God wanted the people in that story to know. God wants you to know the most powerful thing on this earth isn't money. It isn't gold. It isn't a great army. 
It isn't great buildings. It isn't anything that you could see. He is the most powerful. Jesus Christ is the reason for the season. Jesus Christ is the one we worship. He is the one who is worthy of our dedication and worthy of our our adoration. He's worthy to be praised. And not money, not things, not man. Jesus is worthy to be praised. Can I tell you and remind you, there's never been a ruler on this earth and never will be a ruler that has pronounced his coming. Jesus was the only one, is the only one, and will ever be the only one who said, I am coming thousands of years before he came and tell you exactly how he's coming, where he would be born. And here was his mother and father. They weren't even close to Bethlehem. But God says, I know how to fulfill my word. I know what I need to do. I know it's, it, it, it feels inconvenient. And I know it looks like Caesar is controlling you, but I'm actually fulfilling my word as you're being moved. It's the song we sing. He takes that evil and he turns it for good in your life. That's why we rejoice in the Lord always. Because even when bad things happen to us, we know if we give it to God, He can turn it for good. Because He is all-powerful. So if somebody has lied about you, don't give them that power. Give it to God. If somebody has abused you, don't give them that power. Give your life to God. If somebody has called you names, you don't have to worry about defending yourself. Let God defend you. He is the one who is more powerful and He will turn it around. We don't have to fight for ourselves. God is fighting for us. We don't have to control the people around us. We can let God do that for us. I don't have to. You're frustrated because you're trying to control people. You're frustrated because you're trying to control the situation. You don't have to do that anymore. You can give it to the one who has all power and all glory to make all things work for the good of them that love you. You love the Lord, then give your problems to God. Sickness doesn't have to have power over you. You give your sickness to the Lord and let God work out your problem. Last week, we, uh, two weeks ago, I shared with you some testimonies of declaring that not even a stroke has power over us. Not even our, our bills and our, the lack, our, our national debt or our financial issues don't have power over us. Death does not even have power over our life. Even in death, we still win. The most difficult circumstance that you will ever face on this earth is death. And yet, that is the most glorious opportunity you and I have as believers. Is that power? Yes, that is all the power we need. It was a funeral. I remember one time in my life, I was so down and out. I was, I was, in, a, I was in a dark place. I was just broken. I was, I was sad. I was frustrated. I was so many things. And sure enough, somebody passed away, and this was years ago in Utah, and I had to do a funeral. I said, Lord, I am not in the mood for doing a funeral. I don't want to do a funeral. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. I don't want to do this funeral. But I knew I needed to do it, so I did that funeral. I couldn't even prepare a message. When it comes to funerals and weddings, I write it out. I make sure it's ready and, and ready to go. I don't like to ad-lib or do things like that at, at those type of events because they're special moments and I want the focus. Now, obviously, never to be me, but just the focus to be the Lord and that individual. But that, I couldn't even write out a sermon. I did not even write out a sermon. I had one verse in mind. And at that funeral, I had the greatest freedom I've ever had in my life. 
and the strength of God and the love of God began to fill my life. It was a turnaround in my life at a funeral. Why? Because it was for a believer in Christ who was no longer with us but was in the presence of God. It was at a funeral that God used to bless me and encourage me. Can God turn anything to good? Yes, He can. He is all-powerful. And when you look at uh, Caesar Augustus, we know he's, he's after money. But so are the people in this story. Again, here is this picture of Christmas. Mary and Joseph. Mary carrying the Son of God by a miracle. The virgin birth. Don't even try to explain it with human terms. Don't even try to figure it out with your, your books or your knowledge. It was a miracle of God. And they come, this miracle comes to the city after a long, treacherous journey. And nobody would take them in. Nobody would open their doors. She was obviously pregnant. They had obviously been traveling. Everything about them needing something was obvious. There was nothing hidden when they were going to these doors for help. And yet no one would help them. No one. There was no guest room available for a pregnant woman. Is that a telltale sign of this city? It is. And it's a sad tale of that sign. Now, there's two postures that you can take when you think about that. The first posture is this. Oh, I can't believe it. How rude. How inconsiderate. How, oh, that, that would never happen in our city. That would never happen in my home. If Mary and Joseph showed up, I would have opened my door and I would do it immediately. I can't believe those horrible people. That's one posture. The other posture is, oh God, search my heart and see if there's any, any sign of selfishness in me. Oh God, I know I'd probably let a pregnant lady in, but maybe there's other things that I'm withholding from people. God, search my heart. Because when I see that your son came to this earth to be born, and yet he could not find a comfortable place to be born, it breaks my heart. It humbles me. And I pray that you are humbled. Now, these are people that understood the word of God. These are people that knew the word of God. The word of God said, if you find somebody in need, you help them. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 21 says this, When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. This was the word of God. The word of God was if you see somebody in need, you help them. This wasn't just common sense. This was a commandment. This wasn't up for discussion. It wasn't like a husband would say, well, this lady's pregnant. What do you think? I don't know. We don't have any room. No, there was no discussion. It was open your home. We see this in Judges chapter 19 as well. There was a man and a, and a woman who were looking for a place of rest, and they couldn't find a place. And the people of the, of the book of Judges, they had this tag. They had this label that they lived without a king, but they did what they wanted. They lived without a king and they did what they wanted. And when you live without God in your life, you will be selfish and you will place money. You will place money as the most important thing in your life and you will not be able to help people in their life. Rome had the best of the best. 
Rome was beautiful. You, I mean, there, the structures are still today that display the beauty of Rome. Roads, I know we think of roads, and it's just, well, that's so common. They didn't have roads back then. Rome began those roads with pavement. They began these water ducts and, and just so many things that they created, the Colosseum, these mighty structures, the opulence of their outposts even, were something to behold or dress all sorts of things that pointed that they were the most powerful and they had the greatest glory. And didn't you want to be a Roman? Didn't you want to be a citizen of Rome? You would be the citizen of the greatest, the greatest city in the world. You would be a part. You would be king. And that's why Jesus, that's why God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to be born in a manger. And he sent him to Bethlehem in a time when he knew God knew he was sending his son to a city that would shut him out. He knew that. And he did that because Jesus, the word of God says that we have an advocate that has suffered in every way that we suffer, but he did not sin. So Jesus had to suffer rejection because he knew that we would one day suffer rejection. Jesus had to suffer being inconvenienced by other people because he knew you would be inconvenienced by other people. Has anybody been inconvenienced by other people during this season? Yes, yes, right? We've all been that. So has Jesus. His mother was terribly inconvenienced. Women, think about it. And help us as men to be reminded of the travesty of giving birth in an animal stomach. I mean, we do everything we can for our women to be comfortable in that moment. Sometimes it's still not good enough, right, Mark? Right, Pastor Mark, you tried, you tried giving Courtney as much comfort, but she just wouldn't have it. It just wasn't good enough. The pillow wasn't soft enough. The bed wasn't right enough. There's not, don't talk, talk. Hold my hand, don't hold my hand. I mean, we're doing everything in our power to give them comfort. Now think of Mary. Think of Mary. Oh, to have a pillow to complain about. Oh, to have a room with a thermostat to say, can you turn it up or turn it down? She had none of that. Because Jesus wanted you to know, he wanted me to know, that it wasn't the power of Rome, it wasn't the beauty of Rome that we're after. We're after Jesus. We're after his love and mercy. We're after his grace and forgiveness. I'm not here to store up treasure on this earth. I'm grateful that God blesses me. I'm grateful that God blesses you. But we're not after the treasures of this earth. We're after Christ. We're after His love. We're after His mercy. That is true life where you can be blessed by God Almighty. And this is what happens sometimes in our life. Let's see if I can make this work. I want to share with you just a simple illustration in our life sometimes. There are some things that we are after. Let me share this thought with you. Money is a tool that represents the power within us. Money is a tool that represents the power within us. People look at money and they say, that's power. That's power. But you and I know that this isn't power. This isn't ultimate power. What's ultimate power is what's in us. It's in our heart. Jesus Christ is in my life. 
And it's not me, but it's he who lives in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Greater is the power of forgiveness. Greater is the power of patience. Greater is the power of mercy and grace than the power of money. Do you agree with that? Say amen. Amen. And this money is a tool. It's just a tool in our life. That's all money is. Money's a tool that represents the power that's within me. So when you give every Sunday, you're using this tool to display a power, a power of generosity, a power of obedience. I know I've been here over a year and a half, and I haven't, you know, preached a message on tithing. But tithing is important. It's a biblical principle. Yes, it is a biblical principle that I've lived my life by. And when I tithe, I am using my money to express a, the power of obedience in my life. I want to be obedient to God. And so I use that money. I use that money to be generous. We're going to be talking about in just a moment how we're going to use this money. But let me first of all tell you know, what happens in our world today is that people do what? They take this, this label off of money and they say, no, the real power is money. What were the people of Bethlehem doing? They were, they were preparing themselves to be taxed. They knew that taxes were coming. They knew the census was going to give Caesar the power to tax them. And so what did they do? We better protect our power. We can't, we can't give that power to anybody. But honey, there's a pregnant woman outside our door. No, 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 no. We've got to protect our power. If we open up this door to her, we're going to have to feed her. We're going to have to clothe her. She's pregnant. We're going to have to use cloths that we worked for. We're going to have to find water for her. We're going to have to use our power. And people are being used. And now they become the... I don't know if my sticker's still down there. You did it. Now they become the tool. And money becomes the power. If you have a friend, if you have a friend at work that's not serving the Lord, they are frustrated. Why? Because they've given the power to their money, and they have become the tool, and now they're being used. They're being used. They're being abused. But that's not us. That's not believers in Christ. Oh, no, that's not, that's not this story. We've got this right. We've got that the power in us is here. We're going to make sure that money is just a tool. So if we lose this, if it's taken from us, we still have our power. I've had that taken from us. I've shared my house being burglarized. I had cash in there. Money was taken. But I didn't lose my power to pray for people. I didn't lose my power to pray to God. I didn't lose my power to be generous in my giving. I never lost that. I still have it. So I wasn't frustrated, and I slept that night. When money is just a tool in your hand, your life will be blessed because you'll have true power in your life. Don't give, it, don't give your power away to money. Don't give your power away to, your, to, to those in power over you. Don't give your power to your problems. Keep your power right here. I'm going to make sure generosity is right here. I love this church because for over 10 years, you've made sure that money was just a tool of the real power that was inside of you. And for the past over 10 years, you've used Christmas time to use your money as a tool to bless, to bless another 
to bless another ministry, not our ministry, not what we're doing here, which is important, but to bless another ministry. Do you know the story of, of Joseph and Mary coming to Bethlehem? There's so many points to it, but one of the reasons is so it never happens again. Jesus, I emphasize this, Jesus died the last needed death. But Mary and Joseph showing up at that door should have been the last time anybody who needed something went away still needing something. Jesus dying on the cross gave us all the power we needed to help those in need. So the story of Mary and Joseph coming and doors slamming on their face was Jesus saying, this is the last time because I'm going to give you the power to help people. I'm going to give you the tools. And as long as you have that generosity inside of you, as long as you have that love inside of you, guess what? You're going to have the tools to help people. And this church, we are going to collect an Advent Conspiracy offering. We're going to spend less because it's just a tool, and we're going to give more to a ministry in Africa, a ministry of boys that are being helped at a camp. We're going to commit, and we're going to set a goal of, of raising uh, over 20000 10000 of it's going to build three new cabins so that these boys can come. And you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it in just a moment. I want to share the whole video. But we're going to be a part of these. There's some boys that are knocking at our door. There's some African boys that are saying, we need help. There's some African boys saying, can you help us? Will you help us? We, we're knocking at your door. So I want you to watch this video. You get further explanation from our, our missionaries of what we're going to be giving this December with our average conspiracy Hello from Kenya to all our friends at Calvary Church in Lamont. We are Miriam and Kevin Smith, and we want to say a huge thank you for the many years that you have faithfully supported us to serve here in Africa. I think since 1998. Wow. That's been a, a long time we've been partnering together. I'm going to take you on a quick trip to one of five of our programs, Eden Thriving Camps. Just getting the kids there can be a challenge sometimes, especially during the rains. Enjoy the ride on my motorcycle. Friends, we've made it here to the entrance of Eden Camp, and I'd like to show you around for a few minutes. It sits on 22 acres of beautiful, identic territory with a fantastic river gorge and a mature forest that helps us see and feel God's love, His compassion, and His creativity. Come on in. You know, 60% of Africa's population is under the age of 24. So many are hopeless and jobless. We have to tackle the issues that are so entangling if we want to see transformation among the next generation. Check out Eden Camp's impact. There's some of these people who came to me, rescue from the street, some of them doing some stress, and once we give them here, they're able to change their mood because we have changed the environment. So Eden has taken hundreds of children through camp, 30 kids at a time. Perhaps you can see the tents we've been using in the background. But right here is where we want to build one of the three cabins so that we can expand our capacity to 75 kids at a time. Many of these kids come off the streets and they face a lot of trauma through abandonment and abuse. 
They come from shelters and children's homes and from schools. For many of them, it's the first time in their lives to ever go through intentional, experiential education. And this exposes them to wonder and worship and wisdom. Games and team building is one of the activities that campus participants are doing their happy here at Eden. To me, Eden Camp has the best building capacity. And this building capacity has really helped the boys to change their mood. These boys are able to go to open up once they come here because they are working as a team. We've also seen them are developing their confidence, enhancing their thinking creativity. So this Christmas season, would you partner with us and Eden and see how Jesus might transform lives into Kenya's future. Help us build and maybe sponsor a few children to attend camp next year and see a difference in their lives. God bless you and a Merry Christmas to you all. excited about being in a tent, but you get to be a part of giving him a cabin. Three new cabins, $10,000 will make those cabins, and then we're going to uh, raise hopefully another, a little over 10000 maybe 12000 to sponsor 200 boys, and then whatever we raise above that, we're going to be supporting our Hope and Friendship Ministry that helps the local people as well. Our leadership council not only wanted to bless those far away, but the, the needs that are around us. But so the first, but our first goal is to raise a little over twenty thousand dollars for those African boys. So I have to ask you the question: What's inside? What's in your heart? Is it generosity or fear? Is it faith or is it doubt? Is it love or is it selfishness? What's inside of your heart? Because if God's love is inside of you, then you will use this tool to be a blessing to those boys. And I'm grateful today that we don't, we're not controlled by the stock market. We're not controlled by the doctor's report. We're not controlled by our boss's report. We're not controlled by any institution. We're controlled by the Word of God. We're controlled by His love and His truth. So this morning, would you stand? We're going to celebrate that God can use us. What's inside you? Money is just a tool to, that represents the power that's inside us. What's inside of you today? Is it faith? Is it hope? Is it love? Father, I pray that your spirit would rise up within us as we worship you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can be used by you. Thank you that we can use our resources and use them as tools. I thank you for this church and the people that are here, and you've blessed them with great resources. For your glory, God, now use them. 